Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion. I'm your host as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. What's up, everyone? It's your host, James. I hope you've been enjoying the season so far. Back again with another interesting chat for you today. Our guest on this episode is a Tokyoite by way of Michigan, USA, Drew Damron. I was introduced to Drew through our shared love of trail running and mountains, but I realized he has quite a unique and creative side to him that fits our show perfectly. Drew works professionally here in Japan as an English language librarian and has been for the past six years or so. He's deeply interested in community building and the connection libraries have with arts and artists. Personally, Drew writes, draws, produces YouTube videos and more. So we get into all of that in our chat. He also connects his love of the outdoors and physical activities with other famous artists of the past here in Japan and we close the conversation with some potential future projects and goals he has moving forward, both professionally and personally. Let's jump to it then. Here's my talk with Drew Damron, where we discuss libraries, art, mountains, and life. Welcome to or welcome back to ADSR Inspirations, and we're extremely happy to have another unique and inspiring guest joining us today. Please give a warm welcome to Drew Damron, a community-oriented librarian and archivist with a wealth of experience and passion for creating community and connecting people. Born in California and then raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is not too far from where I grew up in southern Ontario. Drew also attended college and university in Grand Rapids, in the Grand Rapids area, where he studied philosophy and English literature. It was during this time that Drew started working as a library assistant and then set out to become a librarian himself, which required further education in the form of a master's of library and information sciences. As Drew was doing this degree online, he used it as an opportunity to move abroad to Japan while completing his master's with the idea of potentially returning home to pursue a job as a librarian upon the completion of the degree. Well, as life goes, Things didn't quite go according to plan, or perhaps they did. And some seven years later, Drew is still here in Japan, having completed that master's, and now has already spent five years as the library manager at the Tokyo American Club, and then more recently has transitioned into his new role 
as the senior librarian at Temple University, also in Tokyo. I feel like that's a pretty good lead up. And as you can see, Ju has a lot going on. So with that all said, I'm very happy to welcome to the show, Drew Damron. Thanks, James. You put a lot into that intro. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for the research. <laughs> well, you know, just uh, just trying to set the table, you know, and if people may have listened to, uh, you know, podcasts or interviews with you before. But, you know, with mm -hmm. that all said, uh, there's a lot of directions that we could take this chat, you know, here on here on our podcast, we're always looking to connect and chat with people who are living and working here in Japan that are doing something a little bit different and unique or, you know, on a different path than uh, the norm, I suppose. So you're the, first, uh, you're the first foreign librarian I've come across working in Japan. So I think we can start there. Um, yeah. can, you share, can you share your journey of I guess how you first became interested in libraries and then eventually wanting to pursue uh, being a librarian yourself as a career? Sure. Um, I mean, growing up in Grand Rapids, there was a really nice little public library that was maybe a 10-minute bike ride from my house. So I used to go there quite often after school and just kind of hang out and, and look around. So I had good memories growing up of, of enjoying the library space. And then um, when I was working on my kind of associate's degree at a community college that was just after high school. Then I got a part-time job uh, working as a book reshelver. So kind of in between classes, I would go work a bit and just reshelve books in the library. And um, that was a lot of fun. You just kind of go in, put headphones in, and just all of, all of the books that were recently checked out that passed through your hands as you put them on the shelf. And so it was always really fun to like observe over time like how you get to know that collection because you kind of see it and feel it. So I really liked that, that feeling and um, being able to orient myself. And it, it was a pretty big library branch that I was working at. Um, uh, the, the downtown main branch, we had like four floors. And uh, so it was a pretty big collection. But over time, being able to like orient myself and know what was around. Um, and it's just a nice job with nice people working there. Um, then... When I was working on my undergrad, my bachelor's degree, I was promoted to our local history and archival department that was on the fourth floor. And that was a, a large collection focused on a lot of like you know, archived paper documents and old maps and photographs and old negatives and uh, we had a, a large book collection and Grand Rapids also has a history of furniture making. So we had a special collection with all of the old like furniture catalogs from these com companies about a hundred years ago. And so uh, I really enjoyed that work because every person who would come in was researching a different topic. And I grew up in that city and I, I thought I knew it growing up there, but then you know, you research like one street because somebody's looking for like old photos of their house. And so you're trying to help them find the old photos of their house and, and little shops nearby that maybe their grandparents used to talk about. And then on the other side, um, someone is doing like antique furniture hunting. And so you're trying to help them find like the original page in the catalog of this piece that they've got. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun, like getting these eyes where I would walk around my hometown and suddenly see like, oh, all of these buildings, you could see what used to be there throughout the years. And uh, you knew the stories of why things were where and, 
and what the neighborhoods were made up of and why they were kind of that atmosphere versus, you know, like on this side of the river versus the other side of the river. And um, that I think after about a year working in there, I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be my job. I'm going to sign up for the master's degree. This is where I'm going to go. And um, yeah, I just really liked that, that research aspect and learning new things every day, but also that community service aspect and trying to provide that to whatever community you're in. And uh, at the American club here, we did a lot of events and I was kind of like half event organizer, half librarian. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're bringing people in to speak all the time. And yeah, I just, that it's important. It's nice to get people together and talk about stuff and learn new things. And yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's a fun job. Right, right, right. I think, you know, there's certainly with the advancement of technology, there may be kind of less, you know, less reasons or less, you know, in terms of like the research aspect of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's something when you're talking about like physical books, physical documents, like meeting someone in person holding these events bringing groups together i think that's something that's always been like that public space it's always been at the core right yeah yeah and it's changed a lot um and i get that question a lot too like uh do people still use libraries or Mm -hmm. do people still read books and um it's it's nice that people are concerned but i mean libraries have been doing fine and and like you said, like at the core of things, like I feel like my job is just to help people find what they're looking for. Like, mm. what is it that you're trying to find? Whether it's a book or a you know article for your research or a photograph or like event space or like um, you know if people were doing their taxes, like where are the tax forms that I need to process my property taxes? Like, okay, well I'll pull them up. Here you go. Um, you know, it, working in a public library. Um, there were all sorts of people from all sorts of different worlds and you know, all of them need different things. And for some people, like, like you're from the area, you know, how cold the winters get, like the library is the only free space with heat in the wintertime. So, you know, if you don't want to sit outside and freeze, then you know, there are a lot of people who go in and stay warm in the library. And that's also important too, because it's that public space and uh, mm-hmm. it's changed with the, with the, the internet and the role of Google now, whereas before, and, and it was funny too, because like uh, before Google, you, people would just call the library with their random questions and they would ask like, um, you know, how many planets or how, how many moons does Jupiter have? And you have to be like, okay, just a moment. Let me look up in my reference book and I'll flip to the page, the astronomy page, flip to Jupiter. Okay. It's got this many moons. And uh, whereas now everybody just Googles that real quick, but all the, the old folks, still have that habit of calling. So I would get all these crazy questions all the time. I remember one lady asking when to plant watermelon seeds and people asking like what a word means even like I'd have to look up in the dictionary and let them know. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, now with the internet changing, that kind of reference interaction, um, that's changed some. The books, I mean, people still read and people got concerned about e-readers coming up and people reading e-books, but since about 2014, I think publishing industry stats show that that's about 25% of readers like ebooks and 75% still prefer physical books and 
during the pandemic, like publishing industry did great. And uh, I think also not just providing books, but providing space now too. And you see this in new library architecture where before libraries would just be the stacks of all the shelves of books and you would come in and you would get what you need and uh, you would go. But now a lot of new libraries, it's, it's like public space surrounded by the resources that you need rather than all of the stuff like that's front and center. And so, yeah, maybe you're not in there for a book, but you're in there for an event or you're in there because you need a place to meet or you have a, you know, a work telework call and you need a private room to go use for a little bit. So mm-hmm. libraries fundamentally have always been about providing you the resources you need, whether it's book or video or space or like New York public library will circulate a suit and tie and for like job interviews. So mm-hmm. If you can't afford a, a suit rental, you just go to the library, check out a tie and a suit, go to your job interview, bring it back. And uh, All right. fishing poles, cake pans, you know, the library of things. We we just started circulating uh, Blu-ray players. So we've got a great movie collection. And, you know, with streaming, like things are changing all the time every month. And so I'm trying to encourage people to come in and, and use our movie collections. Stable, the disc never changes. But right, right, right. Probably can't buy Blu-rays in about two years, I would say. It's probably all going to be cloud-based, which is difficult to provide movies, but that's that's another part of the, the ongoing conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you could, uh, I guess, yeah, if we wanted to steer this towards, you know, the emerging technology and how, mm-hmm. you know, libraries are adjusting or adapting to that. Um, yeah, that's definitely one way to take things, but I, I kind of want to... Let's shift it a little bit like towards Japan. Um, okay. I heard I heard your story on the other podcast. You know, you came to Japan as, mm-hmm. you know, like a way to travel mm-hmm. during uh, you were doing the online course to complete your master's. And uh, you came with your ex-wife at the time who, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe she had more interest in Japanese or had studied some Japanese. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm kind of curious for you as well, personally, um, what was your sort of interest or connection to Japan and Japanese culture growing up? Were you, uh, were you interested in like Japanese art, music, books, films, things like this, or did you kind of develop that later? I think I, I mean, I had really fond memories of growing up with my Nintendo 64 and playing all of those games and, uh, you can't help but absorb some Japanese culture that way. Um, and I love Zelda games too. So that was, that was a strong memory. I think, uh, it wasn't so much like I wasn't, I enjoyed watching cartoons and anime, but I wasn't like super into anime. And, uh, I, I never had any inkling that I would live in Japan so that I've been here for so long now. I don't think that was ever on my radar growing up at all. Um, so it kind of came up as like, I'd always been in Grand Rapids. It's kind of a mid-sized city in the Midwest. And um, I travel around the States a lot, but have never really traveled abroad. I went to Windsor, Canada, but I don't think that really counts as abroad. Um, just on the other other side of the Detroit River. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like before I complete my master's and like get settled into a full-time job, you know, I could use that opportunity to move abroad and try something else. So um, I had some friends who had done like English teaching for a bit and they really enjoyed that experience. And so I thought, okay, well, while I'm working on the masters online um, and my, my previous partner was 
she had studied abroad and she was taking Japanese classes and she was really interested. And um, I just said, okay, well, let, let's see what happens. And so came here thinking that I would work on my master's degree, wrap that up and then come back and start looking for a job. And mm. just about maybe a couple months into my last semester, I saw the job opening at the Tokyo American club. They were looking for a, a library manager and that was kind of what I was interested in. And um, I applied and I got it and kind of been around since then. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems That's pretty to... common with a lot of expats, though. Everybody thinks it's going to be one year and then they're still <laughs> here 20 years later. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm quite familiar with that story myself. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I can definitely understand. It's a, it's a nice place to live. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit curious then, like it seems like things worked out pretty well with getting that mm -hmm. uh, librarian job at the mm -hmm. uh, Tokyo American Club. You were just kind of fin finishing up and you saw the listing and... Uh, yeah, it was one of those like, there's not many of us qualified librarians around and mm -hmm. um, it was just lucky, like right place at the right time kind of situation, so... Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, the jobs must be somewhat limited and then mm -hmm. you know people who have them are probably pretty content with them unless something yep. major comes up um yep. so yes yeah, with the temple job i got super lucky because the guy is retiring now but the, he's been the senior librarian since 1992 so oh, wow he's he was just content there and he did a great job building the collection and i'm very honored and grateful to be the next one there so right, right, right. Looking right. forward to another thirty years there. <laughs> <laughs> nice setting yourself up. Um, yeah. How are how are jobs like that? Uh, how how are they listed? Or like how do people you know perspective mm -hmm. you know librarians you know listening in? Mm -hmm. Or um, what's the process for finding jobs like that? Mm -hmm. There are like if you finish your master's degree. That's kind of the requirement in North America. If you're going to be a full-time librarian, technically, if someone says that they're a librarian, it indicates that they have their master's degree. Um, mm -hmm. And usually going through those programs, you join the American Library Association, and they've got probably the most robust job board internationally, e even for international postings too. So for the most part, if you're keen on being a librarian, then everyone's watching those job boards. Um, there are like more academic librarian job boards too, if you are mostly working in universities or for like schools, there's um, like the, the US, the Department of Defense, which are the kind of civilian jobs at the bases around that. Sorry, that was another thing is like there are military base librarians mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. here um, in Japan. And so um, for some who kind of do that circuit around the world and work at the libraries around the bases and they're kind of watching those job boards too. Um, I think I found the Tokyo American club one because I was just searching. I, I kind of did it periodically, but just like on a whim to search library and jobs, Japan. And, uh, that search pulled up the posting on the Tokyo American clubs recruitment page, along with like chef and fitness attendant and other stuff and librarian was in there. So, um, I'm just kind of have to search, but that's what we're good at. So. <laughs> not anything new there right right yeah 
I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, but it's hard. I mean, like you said, like it, it's a good job and people stay like, if it's a good organization to work for then people don't really move around, they get settled in here. And, um, yeah, you just kind of have to be here for a while and keep your eyes open. The other thing is, uh, it's, it's rare to be hired on and paid to move abroad. Um, mm. I think because there are still a few people here in Japan that are looking around. So I think being here already helps quite a bit. You don't have to navigate the visa stuff and the expenses. Um, and especially right now, the exchange rate is pretty bad. So the salary and the moving package is not as attractive as it was before. So I think if you're like a librarian in California and you're looking at positions here in Tokyo, the cost of living is quite different, but mm. it would feel a bit different if you do the exchange and see the pay cut. But that's not why you're a librarian. That's, you're not in yeah. for the salary. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I know you've got, uh, by now, you know, you have a good deal of experience working and helping out with libraries back in the States. And now you've been at two libraries here in Japan. Um, mm -hmm. You know, have you noticed like some major differences between how things operate, I guess, you know, in the mm -hmm. States versus uh, here in Japan? And then maybe like, would you also be able to comment on just like the Japanese public library system from your experience yeah. as well? Yeah, I think... Uh... Public library systems, similar to the states, um, I think Canada as well, it's funded through property taxes. So um, that's still kind of similar here. Your residence tax is going to support the library. Um, but with that, it means that some areas have better libraries than others, depending on how much tax they're paying. Um, I think a lot of libraries here in Japan are still really well used. Um, and I think that the reading culture here is still pretty strong. Like if you're taking the train, there's a lot of people still reading. And if you're just walking around, there are a lot of like book off and other um, bookstores, whereas maybe you wouldn't really see that walking around another city with you know that many used bookstores around. Um, so I think reading culture is still pretty normal. Um, and same with manga, like a lot of people read manga and comic books mm -hmm. too. And that, that helps with that publishing industry. And, uh, and the libraries as well. Um, I think that there's also an aspect of facility usage, like in the summer when it's crazy hot here, you can go and cool off in the air conditioning. Um, and because of the aging population, there are a lot of older folks here who still regularly use the library as the place to go for their, you know, their information needs or to read the newspaper or um, do photocopies of things. So um, it's still very much a well-used utility here. And um, yeah, there was one library in Taitoku, kind of up near Ueno, that was uh, this big new construction. And uh, the first floor, there's like a restaurant. And then there was like a uh, gender equality floor, like an entire floor devoted to like programs on gender equality. And really? they had a, a fitness gym, like a free gym in the library too, which I thought was really cool. Cause like, I, I always thought that that would be a neat thing for libraries to kind of pull into the fold. It's like, 
what if yeah. we also had a free gym for people to use? And like, that's a part of like, you know, community fitness is like reading and, you know, doing your healthy exercise too. I always thought that would be interesting to put those together. So when I saw that, I was like, Oh, cool. It's, it's here. It, it's alive in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that I think is, is there. And there are like one interesting thing is a uh, Tsutaya, which is uh, kind of a big rental chain i guess it's kind of like if blockbuster were still around um and and renting things out but uh they have also created a lot of these really really nicely designed bookstores um like the t-site and nakameguro or um a couple of other things and they've actually partnered with libraries and they did this in fukushima a lot so after the tsunami and earthquake came through um Sutaya stepped in and helped to rebuild a lot of the libraries out in Fukushima and really, really beautiful, well-designed libraries, you know, huge glass walls with nice wood on the inside. And it, it kind of feels like a trendy bookstore, but it's a library. And um, so it, that was cool to see some, some private sector assistance. And I think that's also the case here in Japan too. Like uh, politically, it's very much like a, more left of the Americas, but mm. um, like the train system is privatized. It's not a public thing. JR is a private company. So mm. um, it's still like a public utility, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see how the country manages its resources. But um, the other thing that's interesting is, is in archives, I was really interested in how they were doing archiving here uh, in mm. Japan because um and archives and, and, and libraries were cataloging. That's like a, a long-standing skill is we have to describe information so that it's easy to find. So we're tagging things. Um, and in English, when you tag things, you just kind of write it out the tag. But in Japanese, you're writing katakana, hiragana, and the kanji, and maybe English as well. So it's like they're doing four times the amount of description work that we are, which I thought was kind of crazy. Um, so that if you are searching in any of those terms, then it pulls up. So... Um, I was kind of looking into that and that was kind of interesting. And then, uh, another important realization was, um, something about the archiving system in the States. If you are researching an area, usually you go to the library in that area or the local repository that's responsible for archiving that area's stuff. And they have the primary sources and the actual documents that you can kind of go and see. Um, but in Japan, Either all of that stuff was destroyed in the war um, when the Americans firebombed Tokyo and Yokohama, um, so it doesn't exist anymore, or it's all copies of the original, which is kept in the National Diet Library, um, which is like their Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, So really, if you're doing research, the researchers are just using copies, and all of the originals are all kept in this like vault in Tokyo um, because of natural disasters, because there's only one of that thing. So... I thought that was kind of an interesting approach to archiving here um, in a country prone to a lot of unfortunate accidents and war and natural disasters and stuff. Yeah, it didn't really dawn on me. Like when I asked the archivist, I was like, oh, can I see like, do you have any original Japan Times newspapers in Yokohama? And they're like, no, I mean, the Americans bombed Yokohama, (laughs) so it's not around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't learn about that in school. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, I guess 
that would be one of the major differences. Yeah, I haven't I hadn't thought about that either. Um, in terms of yeah, original, that is one of the things that I always think about about libraries in North America too. You know, you there's yeah, this Im- yeah. image. You know, someone you know watching over you while you kind of handle this original yep. kind of sacred document. Yep. Um, yep. that's kind of cool then. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, for, you, you sort of touched on it a little bit before, um, you know, the library being used as this space, um, mm-hmm. perhaps for creatives or for meetings or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, groups, things like this. Um, like, what ways do you kind of see libraries as like this space that can sort of foster like Mm. inspiration or encourages like artistic expression? I guess, you know, being at a university or being at certain like specialty libraries, you might see this more than others, but Mm. uh, like in what ways do you kind of view it as this space for, you know, creativity or the space for you know expression i think that uh a lot of libraries have started to do like an artist in residency program which is kind of interesting where um like new york public library they actually have an apartment um that's near a library that the artists will live in and they will do work and they'll do an exhibition um from the time that they stay there um also, my hometown library would do um, a program called Music in the Stacks. And so they would actually, like, in their biography room, they would move the tables out and they would set up amplifiers and a band would go in and they would play music, um, live music there in, in the library stacks and people would just kind of hang out and listen. Um, there are makerspace things that are growing up around the world now. That's uh, kind of a new trend in um providing 3d printers just in the same way that they would provide photocopiers as well um yeah i think a part of it is networking and that's something that i'm trying to work on here in tokyo too i think uh there are a lot of these cultural institutions in tokyo that are doing some really cool programming and they're bringing people in again now that travel is kind of restored and um it's Tokyo, like all sorts of cool stuff and cool people are coming through all the time. And I feel like we don't really have a great network together. And I just feel like if we all were able to stay on the radar of like who's coming in and like what's going on. And if Mm -hmm. we could, you know, provide like almost like a circuit, like if somebody was coming in, they could kind of hit all of these different places around. Um, Yeah. That's, that's something that I would like to see maybe a little bit in the future. Um, and, and trying to build that that community ca- together, like the the Instituto de Cervantes, which is the um, cultural institute for like Spanish culture, and they work with all of the Spanish speaking embassies here in Tokyo, and they put on all sorts of awesome programs, and they've got a Spanish library, and anybody can go and, and use it. And um, same, there's the Goethe Institute, which is a, a German oriented uh, cultural place as well. Mm-hmm. Tokyo American Club does a lot of stuff. The U.S. Embassy used to, not so much anymore, but mm-hmm. um, maybe in the, it kind of depends on the administration at the time. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just feel like there's there's all sorts of cool stuff going on, and it's just a matter of like 
getting in touch with the network and kind of establishing your space as something that's viable and, and can contribute to that effort. And uh, yeah. Right. So yeah. That's something that I, I, I like to do and like to see. Mm, yeah. I know like for yourself and then, you know, for us, you know, the people at ADSR and ADSR inspiration, you know, obviously mm. heavily into, arts and music creativity and i know you've done you know you've done some writing you've done some mm -hmm. comics some artwork mm -hmm. um like for yourself do you do you kind of like uh do you see that just as like part of your job to kind of uh bring those communities together to kind of promote uh that side of it as well um that kind of creativity mm -hmm. or that sort of engagement in that side of it I, I feel that way. I know that, um, you know, it's not always in the job description of a librarian to be doing things like that though. So I think you, you do have to be kind of careful where you are still providing and supporting the library's mission. And, uh, you're not kind of doing all of these fun, creative projects kind of at the expense of that kind of stuff too. So it is yeah. a lot of like relying on your team and trying to see like what kind of library you're working at too and and what mm. the mission and vision of that particular space is um but for me like i grew up in my hometown and i went to a lot of live shows um seeing my like local bands and i got really involved in, in comics and zines and so um i i was kind of involved in starting a zine collection at my hometown library and doing workshops and uh, that's something that I would like to restart again at Temple too. Mm. And uh, I just think that you know, that's my background and that's kind of the strengths that I can bring to the table. And so um, if I'm around and it's okay, then that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to try to do. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just fun to have like different stuff going on. And I think it helps in kind of rebranding the library as well as this community space that's got a lot of cool stuff going on. Hmm. or knows all the other cool stuff going on so that at least we can point you to the other places um, if it's not happening there. And uh, you know, at the same time, meeting your your information needs. And uh, I think the, the one thing that's kind of fun about Temple too is uh, getting back into the research and like the informational literacy aspect is another new thing with libraries where, um, you know, before maybe there was only one source of information, but now if you Google something, you've got all of these different kinds of perspectives and how do you know which one is the authority and which one is fake news? And yeah. that's just going to continue to get worse. And so the skill and being able to identify and trust different sources is uh, something that librarians are really trying to you know, lead the charge on and, and developing the curriculum in university where you know, that is also a, that information literacy is an important skill to, to build as well. Right. Um, in a culture that is awash with all sorts of stuff. And, you know, when my grandparents are sharing crazy things that are not factually accurate and being able to step in and kind of assist a little bit in their ability right. to digest that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's important. Right. Yeah, 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 definitely. That whole side of it. Um, you know, I've been having conversations with some of my friends about sort of the state of technology and especially more recently like AI and where yep. that could yep. lead. That's a big um, one. 
Yeah, I mean, we could do probably a whole conversation <laughs> about um, potentials for like AI and offshoots mm-hmm. of large language models um, in the library setting and beyond. But uh, I think we'll kind of, <laughs> I think we'll sort of stray away from that idea. Sure. And um, <laughs> for the sake of time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to uh, get back a little bit to like your own sort of creative work. And do you think, I guess, working at different libraries and obviously, you know, beyond, beyond the books, mm-hmm. um, you know, the community, the people you're meeting, the other forms of art. Do you think uh, that's helped your own creativity or inspired you to kind of put stuff out there? Um, in terms, like yeah. you mentioned, the zines before, uh, yeah. your comics, your artwork, your writing. Um, like, do you see a strong connection between that? Yeah, I think uh, before I made that choice to go towards libraries, I thought I would be a cartoonist. And that was my goal was to be a full-time cartoonist and, and at some point publishing graphic novels on different kinds of things. Mm. Um, and so when I was going through my my kind of higher education and choosing which classes and what kind of stuff to do, I felt that like, you know, spending a lot of time in libraries means that I'm learning about the world at a pretty quick rate because there's all of these different books and all these things that I'm learning and working in the library, answering questions and kind of interacting with a lot of different people kind of helped to accelerate that some. Um, I decided to study philosophy because I was kind of torn between going to art programs or like writing literature kind of programs. And I thought that like, maybe if I kind of take a step back and really dig into philosophy more, maybe that would be a better foundation for a cartoonist um, on the assumption that like I would figure out the artistic skills if I just do it every day and really keep at it, then um, maybe I don't necessarily need the formal training in that aspect. And I just focus on like what makes a good story and what are human problems that we kind of have to wrestle with and uh, what makes something interesting aesthetically or compelling ethically. Um, And so that was kind of why I chose that. And I feel like, uh, you know, all of that time interacting with different kinds of people and attending events and reading different kinds of books, like it's all like, it's like a healthy diet. Like you, Mm. you should listen to different kinds of music and you should go try different kinds of things. And it's all about being like a well-rounded, healthy person. And I felt like that's, that was the key to like making good art and good comics was like, it's, it's a good, it's a really interesting combination of the two. Like, you need to be able to draw well enough to be able to communicate the content. You don't need to be like a, like if you look at like peanuts, like Charles Schultz's stuff, like you can argue that it's not drawn that well, I think it's drawn very well, but um, that compared to like Marvel comics, like you can say that one is a better artist than the other, but like some of those peanuts cartoons, I mean, they're like soul crushingly sad. So (laughs) You know, there's just something about like being able to package something up. It's like poetry, you know, like to condense the meaning down and deliver it, um, you know, in a, in a compelling way. That was, that was something that I felt like, how, how do you learn how to do that? And uh, I just felt like, well, if I just try to expose myself to as much different stuff around the world as I could, then that would probably help. Mm, right. Do you feel then? And, mm, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, well, then, and then the past three years, I haven't really done that much creative stuff. It's been mostly like spending time out in the mountains every weekend. So I haven't really drawn much recently. It's funny how it changes. Right. Yeah. I was going to touch on that. So, you know, you're mentioning this balance and kind of being a well-rounded person and, um, you know, being inside all day or in a library or, you know, just creating art. And then, um, you did, you did touch on like, there was a, there was the gym inside the library, which has mm-hmm. that little bit of connection. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, for yourself these past mm-hmm. few years, um, being, you know, interested in, you know, mountain climbing, trail running, rock climbing, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, What's like the, do you see like a connection there between, um, you know, like, uh, libraries, art, your creative world along with, um, I I think more so like, you know, for myself envisioning it, you know, being out in nature and this connection to, um, mountains, you know, you're not your, your endeavors, like in particular, you know, you're not like inside a gym you know Mm -hmm. just pumping weights or you're not like at the basketball court or like you know things like this um Mm -hmm. but i'm curious yeah from your side of it um where do you see the connection there yeah it's it's interesting like i growing up i wasn't like on a sports team and i didn't really run much um and like i said there was aren't really any mountains in michigan so um i think for me, it it came to me at a time when, like, I was going through my separation with my ex, and the pandemic had just kind of descended, and uh, I was really, you know, still keen on the artistic, creative work. But there was something about just feeling really tired, and uh, I, I tried to create some stuff, but it didn't quite like gel the way that I wanted to. And I was kind of struggling with that. And there was a bit of frustration there. And so when I started to go hiking, it still provided me that like aesthetic experience. And it's just like, it's just beautiful in the mountains out here in Japan. It's just so beautiful. And there is no frustration or stress. And I liked that there was almost moving in another direction. And I think that's partly how I came into trail running too. But like, there was something interesting about like digging into that kind of like physical activity and the aesthetics involved in that kind of activity versus drawing or writing. And, uh, you can definitely do them together, but I just felt like, uh, kind of exploring this other side of me too, that was, was new and something about it that I really liked. And it it taught me a lot of stuff about myself and now, if anybody you've run an ultra marathon, like it teaches you a lot about yourself that you normally wouldn't experience. So, um, yeah, there's just something about like getting out and seeing how beautiful nature is and, and just how accessible it is for people to like, you don't need to be a highbrow intellectual and you don't need to know all of this different kind of stuff and drop all of these references or, or really struggle to make something really profound, like just go outside and enjoy nature. And and that was just really, it was kind of meeting that need. Um, and the, that idea of improving myself, like with, with trail running, that was nice to kind of feel that 
that growth and that skill. And uh, I, I had been kind of stressed at work too. So there's something that really nice about like you go outside and you're on the trail and either you continue running or you stop and you go back home. And like, those are your, you're reduced down to those two choices. Whereas normally through the day, you're just like bombarded with so many choices and you have to think and do all this different stuff. And it's just something nice about like, go out to the mountains. I don't have Wi-Fi. Nobody can get a hold of me. And I'm just either going to go and keep going or I'm going to feel like I'm done and go home and just not really think and just run and just take it all in and feel that fatigue and tired at the end of like a good day's hard work and enjoy a big burger and a <laughs> beer afterwards. And there was just something that like, yeah, like that, that was really satisfying um, and still is. Um, so yeah, I do think there's something there. I read, um, I don't know if you read Haruki Murakami's what I sure. talk about when I talk about running. So yeah. I read that also. And I, at the same time I read, Sun and Steel from Yukio Mishima. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to kind of compare the two books together, not only because they're both prolific Japanese writers, but they both are very creatively skilled people with this active physical side to them too, where um, for Murakami was running and he really liked running and he was exploring how running was helping his creative process. And for Hukuri Murakami or uh, for, uh, for Mishima, it was more like bodybuilding. Um, and, and that samurai culture. Um, that one's a bit more abstract and poetic, but it was kind of interesting to see um, how they connected it and how those activities kind of fulfilled the same creative need for them too. Mm. Yeah. In a very different um, way. Those two guys are very different. <laughs> right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I can definitely relate to a lot of those ideas myself and, you know, like speaking for my brother, you know, who, he DJs, he produces, he's in a band, but he kind mm -hmm. of always needs to have, you know, he goes surfing quite often. And, you know, before mm -hmm. he was, you know, big into rock climbing and big into uh, snowboarding. And, um, you know, I think a lot of artists kind of need that. I don't know if you want to say counterbalance or you need that other side of it. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to find the outliers who just are really obsessive about that one thing. And, you know, that's all mm -hmm. they do. But mm -hmm. for a lot of people, um, that physical yeah. expression, all, I think it kind of, um, helps out the other side of it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. you know, listening to some, you know, famous ultra runners or runners who have written books as well, you know, um, I'm thinking in particular to some of Dean Carnassus's books, he would say, you know, I'm, I'm out on my runs and I just, you know, record everything down when I'm running and it's all, you know, like these little audio transcripts of me talking. Mm -hmm. And then that's how I put it all together. Um, it kind of clears your head in a way that, uh, you know, you might be staring at a blank canvas for hours but you get outside in nature or you, you move your body for a little bit and all of a sudden things seem to make a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a matter of scale like you. And, and maybe that's my problem and that I haven't been so creative lately is I just feel like, uh, uh, like, yeah, you're staring at the blank canvas for a while. You go outside and you enjoy nature and it's like, Oh, you know, it doesn't really 
it's not really that important because <laughs> we kind of get that experience elsewhere. And so it's like that, that need is, that need is being met already. And I just feel like, Oh, you know, I, I don't really feel like drawing anything. Let me go run outside for a bit. That's more, that's, that's, it's more, uh, more direct, like to the source. It just goes like straight there mm. <laughs> rather than having to struggle over the page. But I, I do really like there a lot of artwork that's, derived from mountains and reading like reading the romantics like the english romantics and um william wordsworth stuff about you know, being outside in the lake district and um there's a lot of really great japanese artists um hiroshi yoshida does these really beautiful prints um that he kind of put together when he was out climbing like kitadake and all of these other like big alpine climbs really mm-hmm. beautiful uh shinhanga prints and uh Umetaro Azechi, who was kind of like a folk artist. He just kind of like lived out in the mountains and did these really interesting, like very simple but beautiful block prints. And uh, yeah, I've been kind of into that lately too. Mm. For comics, I think for poetry, trying to combine and like reduce and simplify down, I've been kind of working with that somewhere. Maybe it's kind of scenes. But like when you're running, you only kind of have like a couple ideas that come in. Maybe, I don't know. For me, when I'm running, my attention span is very low. And I feel like I don't, like some people think like, oh, you spend all that time out there thinking and you're in your head. And it's like, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just moving. Like, yeah, I have a very small attention span when I'm running, which is why I like it. Because like, I don't really have to think about anything. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, something about like trying to find that balance and like, you know, the scenes and those kind of fleeting thoughts and trying to make them cohere together in like a nicely readable little page. Um, that's been kind of the new project. Mm. I think, yeah, one of the things that comes to mind for me too is like, um, uh, like you mentioned, being in the moment or maybe like more of a like flow state with some of these activities. Um, I'm thinking like to my brother doing surfing and rock climbing and stuff like that. Or if you're um, mountain climbing or like trail Mm -hmm. running, trail running in Japan, you know, is, I don't know, 80, 90% like in the mountains usually. Right. Um, Versus I guess if you're road running or, you know, maybe just like a flat trail, you know, loop or something, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe like just, just from my experience and my image, you know, if you're road running the same route that you do all the time and, you know, then maybe you might have some different ideas or, you know, you might not have to be mm-hmm. as aware of your surroundings. Whereas yeah. if you're, you know, on some steep mountain or, um, you know, yeah, you should know where you surfing. are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at now to, again, applying this healthy diet aspect. Like I got really into running and trail running and I was like doing all sorts of races throughout the year. And, um, I just, I, I, I'm kind of at a point now where I feel a little bit runned out and I kind of need a little bit of space from that. And like, Mm. it's important also to like, because I love the mountains, um, I've been getting more into the Sawanobori side recently because, um, it shows you a different kind of the mountains. It's a different kind of activity that tests you in a different kind of way. And uh, I, I like climbing because it's more like a puzzle aspect 
than mm-hmm. running where you just, it's just all about endurance. Like, can you just sustain and keep going? I um, guess, sorry, yeah, before you get too deep into it, just if people don't mm-hmm. know what that is, can you just briefly explain it? Yeah. Uh, Sawanobori is this unique type of rock climbing that's only really done in Japan. Um, I think a couple people do it in Taiwan and New Zealand, but um, you are climbing up a mountain stream, like climbing up waterfalls in the mountains. And uh, whereas canyoning is kind of going down or rappelling down or jumping down the pools in Japan, they're actually climbing up to the source of the the river. And uh, I've really come to like it because the summers here are crazy hot. So it's nice to kind of spend time in the cool stream in the mountains. And um, I liked also that it's this, combination of all of these different skills so when you're trail running or hiking you're usually like going up to the summit and that's like the payoff is like you get up to the top and you get that view and it's really beautiful and um sawanobori you're going into the deep like heart of the mountain and you are in a place where you are at the source of the river and that water is what is you know nourishing everything all downstream all the irrigation and the cities and and whatever um but you're in this like pure place. It's like deeply vibrant green with thick moss and like super clear water. And there's deer and fish and like all of this wildlife around you. And it's, it's just like really deep, alive nature. And, uh, you have to kind of have your hiking endurance skills. You need to be good at swimming. You need to be good at rock climbing and able to traverse these taller waterfalls. Um, it uses like rafting skills, like the wetsuits and gear so that you can stay warm. Um, you have these like felt sandals that you tie onto your shoes so you can grip like the slippery rock. And you have uh, like the best climbing gloves or the super cheap woven ones from the convenience store. Uh, they're like, hot, yakuen, oh, yeah, yeah. like 100 yen uh, convenience store gloves. And then the Tawashi brushes, which are like, uh, it's like a palm fiber brush that they use in Japan that they usually use for like scrubbing pots and pans. It's like a mm-hmm. brown oh, yeah, yeah. bristle brush. Um, but we have them like clipped onto our carabiners so that when we're climbing, we can like brush the rock off and get the <laughs> slippery moss off. And so I just love that it's this like, it has roots in like trout fishing and trout fishermen going up to find trout like up in the mountains. Um, but it's become this like really like extreme climbing activity that's done in the summertime. It's, it's dangerous and it's really beautiful. And um it's taught me a lot of other things about how the mountains work and how people relate to the mountains in a way that trail running wasn't teaching me. And then also like skiing and ice climbing and all of these other activities, like all of them teach you a different kind of thing about yourself and about how nature works and about the mountains. And um, yeah, that's what I love about Japan is like, you can do all of that. It's all, it's all here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you mentioned, there's all those different aspects to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't necessarily have to go for the competition side of things. It can be more about just being out there, um, taking mm-hmm. your time, enjoying it, and, um, you know, perhaps inspiring you in other ways. Um, in terms of like, we briefly touched on this, but like, how do you kind of see then moving forward, like uh, the evolving role of like a librarian and libraries, um, you know, in supporting communities, supporting art, supporting 
artists, um, you know, as these creative hubs or, you know, how things like I, I know we're not going to get too deep into like potentials of AI and all that, but some of those ideas are going mm. through my head. Um, mm. I guess like, how do you kind of envision, um, you know, the role of libraries and librarians, maybe five, 10 years down the road? Mm. Yeah, I think that libraries are still healthy and still doing pretty well, contrary to maybe what some narratives are putting out there. But like, uh, I think there's like a big survey from uh, uh, like a, a Gallup poll thing that was like two years ago, where they found that um, the number of people who visited libraries that year was more than the number of people who attended sports games of all the sports all to all combined all together. Oh, so wow. Okay. If you were to take all of those arenas and all of the sports games all happening all across the States, there were more people going to libraries than all of those all combined together. So like people are still going and using them. Um, I think that one aspect is it's a free place to go. And I think that that's pretty important because those spaces are getting less and less. And, um, you know, now if you want to go work, you can go to a coffee shop, but you have to pay for yeah. coffee. Um, and generally you can only stay there for a certain amount of time. Although in Japan, people seem to stay there all day. Um, and I think that, uh, as things change, like I think with telework and like more like fluid work options, I think libraries will, if they can pivot and kind of provide that resource, I think that, that could be really interesting where you have these, you have these co-workings like we work like these subscription based co-working places, but like really like it, it already exists in libraries for free. You can just do it there. And yeah. if it, you just kind of get a little bit of investment and can kind of flip some of those resources to make it a comfortable place to hang out and work, um, then I think that that would be really healthy for those libraries. Um, but yeah, it's just about like, getting to know your community and providing what they need um, for free if possible. And if they continue to do that, then I'm not worried about it. Um, one thing with AI and tech changes, I guess that's a bit frustrating is like for a long time, we've been able to provide movies for people for free. And that's getting harder to do with like Netflix is producing their own stuff and you can only watch it through a Netflix subscription. And like as much as I can, try to lobby Netflix, they're never going to give a library subscription out. They want all of you guys to all subscribe yeah. individually. So there's a lot of conversations as far as access goes now between the American Library Association and things like that, where, um, you know, is it a right as a citizen to have access to these kinds of things? Or, you know, is it okay to block it off in that kind of manner? Um, the creativity stuff, I think that yeah, it's just a matter of like the people involved and how open they are to working with other groups around town and then their community. And um, it just takes time to build those relationships. But I think if those are worked on, then, you know, really cool things come out of it. And um, I think with AI, it's an interesting tool. I think as an academic librarian, there's like, like recently, for like citation, if you want to cite uh, a source in your paper, um, the discussion I was like, how do you cite 
AI content that's created. Like who, who is the authority who made it? And yeah. um, it, it puts a whole interesting question regarding authority because, um, you know, who is the author then that is making up this stuff? And um, there are official guidelines now for citing in like MLA and APA formats now, which is kind of interesting. Um, oh, really? For homework wise, like, yeah, there's a concern that like students now are just going to write their papers using AI. But um, I think it, it's just, it's a new tool. And it's the same kind of situation as like smartphones when Google came along. It's like, yeah. we're still here and we're still providing services. And in, in a way, like, it's just another tool that librarians are going to have to use and help people in order to use it more effectively too. Um, and so I'm playing around with it now. I'm trying to see what it can do and how it can help me and mm. what its drawbacks are. And um, yeah, I mean like I can only read so many books and I can only search through so many things so quickly. So like if I can have a little research assistant, um, there's somebody who can like go through and like add metadata. Like I feel like in a way right now, AI is just like, it's like an incredibly fast, unpaid intern. Like they don't really have those professional skills yet, but they can do like really simple stuff and they're really fast at it. So like if you've got a big project and you just need like an unpaid intern to zoom through it real quick, then I think AI is going to be great for that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you still need professionals to be in there. It's not quite at that level yet. So. <laughs> right, right. We don't have the... Yeah. Don't have the robots and the AIs replacing librarians quite yet. No, I think <laughs> so. we'll probably replace some other things first, I guess. But <laughs> right. I don't know, interesting times that we live in. It's a it's a cool new tool. I'm curious, like ten years down the road, what it'll look like from now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I think, like you said, yeah, conversations I've had in the past too. It it's a tool that like we've had these tools in the past kind of change how, mm -hmm. you know, people access information, how they make art, um, mm -hmm. ideas like this. And, you know, if you view it as a tool, use it as a tool for your advantage. Um, you know, like you said, saves time in certain aspects right now. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly potentials and future potentials on the way. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, yeah, there's been a ton of podcasts <laughs> talking about AI. So, yeah. uh, let's yeah. Just... And there's like, uh, cause it's such a hot topic now. Like people are asking me for books. Like, do you have any new books on AI? And it's like, like, I'm kind of hesitant to buy books on it right now. Cause it's changing mm. so fast. So mm. it's like trying to steer people towards like articles that are coming out a little bit faster. Just like, I'm sure if I buy a bunch of books right now in a year, they're all going to be outdated. Yeah, oh. right. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's changing uh, really fast. It's crazy. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I guess, you know, wrapping up a little bit for yourself uh, personally or like you, you kind of you kind of touched on this a little bit before, but, you know, if someone was kind of thinking, oh, like, how could I, how could I be a librarian in Japan? Um, mm -hmm. So first of all, like a master's is essential, you would say, and then use those connections to find the listings, maybe get to know people. And then one of the big things I think you said is already being in the country 
Um, Already being in the country helps. It's not totally necessary, but it does help. Um, But then it's a matter of like, if you come over here, it might take some time to find something too. Um, Having a master's does help. um, Because I think that's a part of the situation why I'd still stayed here is like, there are a lot of people fresh out of the master's programs that don't have library experience and they're all applying for jobs everywhere right now. So like mm-hmm. if there's a full-time librarian position, there could be like a hundred applicants for that, that job. Yeah. So it is pretty competitive because it's an enjoyable, meaningful career. So you just have to kind of you know, do your best to highlight your skills and what makes you different. And um, I think being in Japan is great making sure that you also are very passionate about libraries and not just want to come here just because you want to live in Japan. It's helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. Depending on the kind of library you want to work in, making sure that you've got some experience with, with that kind of library or like adjacent institutions. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's Japan and the language is Japanese and there is some English, but you know, it's not like finding a library job in the UK where everyone speaks English also Mm -hmm. like it's going to be limited. So you are kind of, it's a small pond over here with some fish, not a whole lot of fish. So it's, it's, but it's a far away pond that's difficult to get to. And, can you survive in that kind of pond or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like the typical expat stuff too. Like yeah, some, some problems are like, if you've got a family, like moving a whole family over here, you got to think about school for your kids and like that other kind of stuff too. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Similar to other jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of actually working in a Japanese public library, that's a whole other that's a whole other thing entirely, I would imagine. Yeah, I've seen, um, like, in the Zabu Juban area, the libraries mm-hmm. there, like in the Minato Ward of Tokyo, there are more international people living there, and that's kind of where a lot of the embassies are. And so mm-hmm. I have seen, like, internship programs where there are expats that are working in a Japanese library. But just for example, if somebody in Japanese comes up and asks you, like, do you have any books on this particular topic? in Japanese, not only you need to be able to understand the question, you need to be able to search for those things and you need to be able to know that that resource is going to provide what they want to. And so if you can do all that in Japanese then you will be fine at a library, but if that's going to cause you stress with every interaction, then it's not going to be a very fun job for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. Get those, get those skills down, potentially, uh, get your, I wouldn't know the requirements, but potentially like getting your N1 um, in terms of the language proficiency test may be a requirement as well. Yeah. Understanding a lot of kanji is going to be very helpful in that job too. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. I got to thank you for this in terms of like uh, some upcoming projects. I know like you mentioned you're still. still love exploring the mountains and mm-hmm. uh you've you've done some writing recently i'm sure you have mm-hmm. some ideas about uh you know comics or zines or uh what do you what do you kind of have uh in terms of you know some ideas or 
projects or things that you're kind of excited about uh, in mm. the near future or the, you know, not so near future? Yeah, for now, I'm, I'm still kind of getting settled at my new job and uh, trying to get myself up to speed over there. Um, I would like to get back to drawing and make that a regular thing. I think uh, for me, I joined UTMF, which is the, the big 100-mile race in Asia that's here in Japan. And that was like a two-year goal. And so um, now that that goal is met, I feel like I can kind of move on and I have got time to like do other stuff instead of training for races all the time. So mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. Like I want to get back to like reading more regularly. I hadn't really been reading as regularly as I used to. And mm. um, yeah, just like spending time with my fiance and mm. doing other fun stuff. And yeah. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like I'm at the point where like I kind of want to relax a little bit and just <laughs> yeah. chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I hear that. You don't, always ne need to necessarily have something on the calendar or have this deadline mm. or yeah i think that's good it goes in waves like you, you get that itch for like a year or two and then you know kind of goes down a little bit so i'm excited for that to come back but right now i'm going to enjoy this little point right yeah i think also in terms of like creating art as well um you know maybe when you have that opening or you know, you feel a little bit more free uh, is mm. when some of those ideas might come out as well. Mm. Whereas like um, people who are working as artists, like freelance or full-time, you know, and they have those deadlines um, mm. and the pressure that adds yeah, to it. It's gotta it. be hard. It's yeah. gotta be so hard. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of respect for people who can like really manage and thrive in that kind of environment. That's, that's not me though. Mm. yeah yeah i kind of feel the same way about that and you know people i've talked to in the past um yeah i guess it depends on your mindset as well you know some people yep. you know that's that's the life they've made for themselves and they're used to it but um yeah cool cool yeah i gotta thank you once again for yeah, coming on and having the, having, having the chat i just have uh couple final questions that i uh, ask every guest if that's cool yeah so uh you know as this is called the inspirations podcast they kind of relate to that so um the first one is uh what is something or it could be someone uh you don't have to limit it to one but uh mm -hmm. something or someone that has really inspired you either in your life or in your work i think for me I I met a guy um, when I was in high school. I went to like a arts job fair and he was there uh, representing the professional cartoonist. And so I met him. His name is Matt Reedsma. He uh, kind of became a mentor for me. And um, I used to meet with him. We would have these like biweekly comic studio meetups. And uh, he's about... 10 years older than me and he just was always a really positive mentor figure and encouraging me and helping me with navigating what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, yeah, he was a huge, huge inspiration. And, and still when I go back and visit, I always get a coffee with him and catch up too. But, um, yeah, if I hadn't met him, then I'm sure my life would be very different now. Mm. Cool. 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 Yeah. Um, can people sort of like check out some of his work or, uh, yeah, he 
he was the same same kind of situation where he was a heavy cartoonist. He became a librarian and kind of pivoted. So now he's mm-hmm. a he is a world class user experience librarian at a university doing a lot of like web design stuff. So you can check out his, his professional website and some of his coding, but I don't think he's as proud of that as his comics from way back when, but yeah, you can look up his stuff online. He did like a, a diary comic, like every day he would do a little four panel journal comic and he did that for years. And uh, a lot of it's pretty funny. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Like you say, sometimes these things sort of flow yeah ebbs and flows cool uh but he still right. draws with his daughters and puts them up sometimes so he's still at it oh, okay so um is there like a website that people can we can put in the yeah his his zine was called high maintenance machine okay so i think if you look that up then you can still find it it's uh it's a quote from the mountain goats the band <laughs> nice <laughs> Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll put that link up then. Yeah. And uh, last one for you then. So, I guess on the flip side of that, uh, some people, you know, see what you're doing. You know, whether it's the work you've done, you know, at the libraries, or they see some of your writing, they see some of your art. Um, what does it mean for you uh, to be inspirational to other people? Um, I mean, if it is inspirational, then that's, that's nice. Um, I think that because I had that mentor relationship growing up, I know how important that was for me. And so, you know, if there are ways to provide that, then, um, and, and just be a good role model and be helpful and, um, supportive and, um, fostering those kinds of good skills and and other people in my community then yeah i think that's a really meaningful thing Mm. yeah i guess especially like you see that here in japan you know with the senpai kohai sort of relationship and you know my perception of this community feel at like libraries and the people that work there um they're trying to help other people and bring groups together, bring people together. So I think it's all, you know, a little yeah. bit c- cyclical in that sense. Yeah. Everyone should go thank their local librarian. They're doing <laughs> great work, but they're all, they're all very cool people. And like, because they're not, they're not teachers, right? They're not professors. They're not like, there's no power dynamic. They're just there to help you find stuff. So mm. it is kind of a unique resource to have. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. Um, um, yeah, right. So yeah, that's one thing there's, there's a lot going on at libraries that people may not realize. So Mm. head on down, whether it's, you know, in a university setting, a public setting, school setting, I think, uh, it's, they're all around easy to access. So I know when I first came to Japan, uh, that was one of the first places I went to and, you know, they offered basically free Japanese lessons mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a bunch of programs that they offer for different things. So, 
Yeah. And even if you don't take advantage of that stuff, like even just walking in the door is like a very important, useful usage statistic that can be used to like validate the existence and funding of a library. So like just Mm -hmm. people in the door is like already a huge help. So no pressure to join anything. Just, just visit and hang out for a bit. Yeah. 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 I'm sure. Um, the people working at the libraries want people like that and they want those, you know, despite probably the amount, the amount of regulars that they get, um, they want those new people coming in as well. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, all right, man, I got to thank you. Yeah. One more time. And, uh, if people, you know, want to follow what's going on with you, uh, you know, waiting waiting for that next zine to come out or uh <laughs> yeah where where's the best place uh to you know see what you're uh, up to i've got instagram and mm-hmm. uh i put stuff up on my youtube channel sometimes if i go out on a trip but mm-hmm. yeah instagram is a good way to message me and reach out so okay so it's just just my name okay yeah just drew damron on instagram and then mm-hmm. uh I think you have your website as well, right? Do you update that? I do have or? a website. Yeah, I, I do when I can. I should update it again. <laughs> cool, cool. But cool. yeah, there's a couple comics up there. That's true. You can read them there. Mm. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, we'll get all the links up for that website, Instagram, and then um, yeah, your YouTube for some of your outdoor adventures and mm-hmm. maybe give some people some inspiration on that. Um, yeah, like you said, climbing up those waterfalls is the kind of next thing that uh yeah get... it's it's unique it's really fun <laughs> right 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 yeah I, I did notice that's one of your recent videos i believe right mm. yeah i just put one up cool cool okay yeah once again thanks for coming on drew yeah it was good yeah, to thanks, it's good to meet you good to chat with you perhaps uh, one day we'll we'll get out there for a run together yeah for Uh, sure let me know um, (laughs) yeah cool 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 all right that was drew damron and this is james mallion with adsr inspirations until next time thanks for listening so there you have it that was my chat with drew make sure to check out his youtube page if you're interested in his outdoor activities he also has articles frequently coming out in the japan times Then keep tabs on his homepage if you want to see some of his art and possibly a new zine in the future, as he mentioned. Once again, much love and gratitude to all the listeners who enjoy meeting these creative people here in Japan as much as we do here at ADSR Inspirations. And thanks to our small but amazing team of Leona and Sean for making this show happen. That's all from me, your host, James. As always, thanks for listening. Stay inspired.